actually says at the end of chapter 3, you're God and I'm not, and I will wait patiently for you to reconcile all things. But in the middle of that, God's answer to Habakkuk in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 is this. He says, my righteous will live by faith. In other words, there are going to be times when things happen that don't make sense. There are going to be times it looks like the wicked are going to win. It looks like things are not going to work out for the best. And God says, in those times, what I'm wanting you to do is to keep persevering, keep going forward in faith. I will, you have to trust me, I will make things right. Now, that's a hard thing. And remember the Hebrew writer had just told his the people that he was writing to about all that they had been suffered the confiscation of their property and they had joined with others who had been in prison. And But he also said, you haven't yet resisted to the shedding of your blood. So theologians and scholars have wrestled with, who was he writing to? What time period? What Christian group do we know went through this? And we really don't know for a fact, but there's a strongest chance that he was writing to a group of Christians, Jewish Christians in Rome during the time of around A.D. 45, 49 in that area. Uh, there were a lot of Christians that did shed their blood in Rome who were, who were persecuted and, and put to death and all throughout, they, they don't know for a fact, but they do know there was a, a time period, right around the time I've just said, where a bunch of Christians were just expelled from Rome. And not only were they expelled from Rome, they were gathered up and herded out, and while they were being herded out, all the Romans were loot their property, just just started taking all their stuff, and they watched it all happen. And this might be the group that he's writing to, and he's saying to them, Hang on in faith. Just keep going. And so, as he said to them, persevere, and the righteous will live by faith, he could easily have started writing what we know as chapter 12. Go to chapter 12 and look at verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and we'll get to chapter 11 in a second. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The Hebrew writer could have easily, at the end of chapter 10, after saying the righteous will live by faith, you need to persevere, he could have just gone right in and said, run with perseverance the race marked out for you. But for some reason... And it's, remember, it's the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Everything we have here in this book was not the Hebrew writer's idea, if you will. It was the Spirit of God inspiring him and telling him what to write. There's a reason why chapter 11 is here. And it's going to become clear as we take the time to study it tonight and break it down over the next few weeks. And I'm going to tell you, if you're willing to take the time, it'll become one of the most favorite chapters of the entire book of, the, of all the Bible. This chapter here, what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith and the Men and Women of Faith. There's two things I want to do tonight. I want us to take the time to break down the chapter 11, especially in the section we're going to do tonight, to, to, to learn this. What is faith really? And we're going to take a lot of time tonight to deal with that because there's a lot of miscommunication and confusion as to what it means to live by faith. There's a lot of faith healers out there. There's a lot of faith this and faith that. And I want us tonight to very clearly and distinctly break down what does it really mean to live by faith? What is the biblical definition of faith? And you're going to find it very helpful if you'll take the time to write down and look closely what we're going to do. But we're also going to learn from these individuals that were chosen. They could have chosen others that, that aren't written down in this chapter. But these ones that have been chosen have been chosen for a reason. And there's something in each of these people's lives and how they live by faith and what faith meant in their life that we can learn from. And I can't wait to get into it. So let's jump right into chapter 11 and look at verse 1. It says this. It says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. Now, 
When you see those words being sure and certain, what are some other ways you would put that into words? Okay, so you have assurance and conviction. Evidence. Evidence. Your translation says evidence, huh? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of faith. The evidence of faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That's interesting. You know, you don't have anything seen, but you have evidence. It's a very interesting way to put it. Does anybody see here a picture of not wavering? You know, it says being sure, certain. What I want to deal with to start off with is this. The Bible says that real faith doesn't waver. Now, as we go into this, I don't want anybody to feel like you're being beaten up. Because we all have times where our faith wavers. We all have times where we get weak in faith. But I want to show you that the biblical definition of faith is a faith that doesn't waver. And that will become clear as we break it down. And in, in the process, I'm going to make you nervous some more uh, before we get to the real conclusion. So I'll just tell you that right now. Go to James chapter 1. Look at verses 5 through 8. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. It's, right, it's the very next book right after Hebrews. So some of you might only have, I only have two pages between where we are and where we're going. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Now, remember our definition of faith here. Faith is being certain of what we hope for, right? Or being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see. Real faith believes without doubting. Now, again, stick with me. Because there are some people that take that to an unbiblical direction. And I'm going to clarify that in a second. Go to Matthew 21, though, and look at what Jesus has to say about this. In Matthew 21, starting in verse 18. This is in the last week of Jesus being on the earth before He went to the cross. It says, verse 18 of 21 of Matthew, Early in the morning, as He was on His way back to the city, He was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, He went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Excuse me. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now again, stick with me here. I'm, don't ever build a doctrine on one verse. There's too many people that can take one verse and try to teach things that are not biblically true. But I'm using this verse along with many others to lay a foundation of what real biblical faith is. We know from Hebrews 1, 11 verse 1, that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. We see from James that when we're to ask for wisdom, we're to ask without doubting. Real faith believes 
without doubting. Jesus himself said, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can say to this mountain, be moved. Now, that makes me kind of excited and kind of a little nervous at the same time. Well, I'll clarify it in a second. Go to Mark chapter two, chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Here's Mark's account of this situation with the fig tree. And Mark's account has a very interesting statement as well. Mark chapter 11. Look at verse 24. Here, dealing with the uh, fig tree and the and saying to the mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. Well, let me read starting from verse 22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Now, again, here we see some very clear teaching of Scripture that sure looks like if I believe it enough, it has to happen. Does that not look like what this is saying? If I believe it, God has to do it. Well, that's why there's a danger for building doctrine over just certain verses, not the whole of Scripture. Because there's a passage that talks about this kind of faith in 1 John chapter 5. Go to 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. You're going to see a caveat here that needs to be, be added to what we're talking about. And it will all of a sudden begin to make what this means to have faith without doubting become, to make, become, make a lot more sense. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. John says this, he says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will... He hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. I'm sorry, and if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of Him. Now what has been added in this verse to what we've just read? According to His will. And this is what I want to clarify, and you're going to see this become clear as we start breaking down chapter 11 of Hebrews. Folks, faith cannot initiate with you. And if it initiates with you, it is not biblical faith. Here's what I mean. Faith can only begin after God has spoken. Faith can only be exercised and fully believed in without doubting if God has said first, this is His will, this is what He's promised. For example... Some of you may say, I really have faith that God's going to sell my house. Did God say He would sell your house? Do you see what, see what I'm saying? Any faith that initiates with you and is not in response to promises of God or statements from His Word or statements that His Scripture says are according to His will, any faith that starts with you is not a biblical definition of faith. I don't care how certain you are, how sure you have convinced yourself you'll be. That faith is no good unless it is rooted in someone who's able to back it up. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so the question is, did God say it? If He said it, believe it and don't doubt. Ask for it. Believe that you've received it and watch God come through. But it cannot initiate with you. And that's why, well, let me give you an example of that. Um, in, in the story, I'll, I'll just talk about it. In the story of Peter walking on the water, did he walk on the water before or after Jesus said to come? It was after. 
said, Lord, if it's really You, tell me to come on the water. Jesus said, come. Peter exercised great faith when he responded to what Jesus had said. Do you see the difference? There are a lot of people out there that say, I believe something so strongly, God has to do it. When you are the one determining what God has to do, who's God? That's why you've got some of these faith people out there that are taking scriptures that sure look like, well, believe whatever you've asked for and you have it. In and of itself, that's what it says. But if you take the whole of Scripture, you'll see that there are times that I can pray for things, and if it is not the will of God, it ain't going to happen. That's why later on in 1 John chapter 5, he talks about, after talking about this kind of prayer of faith, he says, pray that your brother or sister may be healed. Pray that they won't die. Oh, but then he says, oh, there are some sins that are unto death. He says, I'm not praying. I'm not telling you to pray for those kind. In other words, if God's determined that someone's sin is such that they're going to die, pray all you want. They're going to die. And that's why it doesn't matter how much faith you have. If God, if it's not according to His will, if it's not something God's promised, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. For example, does God heal? Yes. Does He respond in, to our prayers of faith when it comes to healing? Yes. Does He heal everybody? No. 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 Well, yes. Well, healing is going home. Yeah, well, for believers, but there might be unbelievers we're praying for, and I wouldn't call that healing, heading to hell, so... So we have to understand, He doesn't heal everybody, does He? Why? Was it because they didn't have enough faith? No. It wasn't God's will. Do you realize that if the people that are out there teaching that if you have enough faith, God will heal you, if their doctrine is correct, nobody would die. I mean, ultimately, if that doctrine were true, and everybody had enough faith, nobody would die. That's why you've got to be careful of those who teach something that looks like it makes sense according to a verse and compare it to the whole of Scripture. But I don't want you to miss out because of the wackos on something that most Christians today miss out on, and that is this. If God has said it, you can be sure of it. You can be certain of it. You can, you can write a check. God will cash it. If He's said it. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. So, how do we know whether or not I'm exercising my faith or faith in God? What's the question we have to ask? Did God say it? Did God say it? No, by the way, a lot of Christians today miss out on a lot of promises of God. Because they don't know the Word. There are a lot of promises He's given us that you don't know are there. And you can't claim them because you don't know they're there. Go ahead, Bill. Uh, when you say, unless God says it, are you saying, unless He says it to you personally? Uh, it, it, could, it could be both. It could be both. I'm talking basically, generally, about the Word. The, the promises of the Word of God. That much we know. There are times that God will give someone a specific word, if you will. And I can give you an example of those, and we'll get to those in time in our study as we break this down some more. But there are times that God gives a specific word. Now, in those instances, we all have to go through the process of, was that me, was that, you know, was that God, was it Satan? We have to wrestle with all of that. Um, but I do believe God will give individual specific promises as to certain situations. Um, but again, those are harder to, to decipher whether or not it was really God because our flesh gets in the way sometimes. But yes, God does give you 
beyond what's here in Scripture at times, I believe He will give a child of God a promise. Yes, ma'am? You're saying that wrestling isn't necessarily doubting. Wrestling is not necessarily doubting if your wrestling is determined whether or not this is something God has said. But once you know it's something God has said, don't doubt. That's what the Bible definition of real faith is. I mean, let's be honest. Looks like the world's going to win, doesn't it? His word says that in the end, God is going to win. And even though Satan is the ruler of the prince of this world and the power of this air, it's only for a time. But if we were just going what we can see, it's been getting worse and worse and worse. Thank God for His Word and thank God for His promises and that's what we hold on to. Now the sad thing is, we had a whole bunch of folks who were believing that uh, Mr. Camping was correct. Because he had given a Word and he had taken according to his definition, Scripture and proven that the 21st was going to be the time of the rapture. Problem was, it didn't match up with Scripture and there are many Christians who said that's not what the Scripture says. And plus, his math was an interesting little conglomeration of, how'd you get that figure? Well, God gave me that one. You know, that kind of stuff. He said that was five months off, too. Yeah, yeah, he's redone it again. But again, we've got to be careful of that kind of stuff. That's why it's important for each of us to know what the Word of God says and all. But those people, you know, as wrong as they were, a lot of them sold out everything they had. I feel sorry for them. They exercise real faith in the sense of they 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 believe, but they put their faith in what? So even though they were certain of what they don't see, did it come to fruition? No. Because their faith wasn't rooted in truth. So Jim, how do we rectify it? I mean, in our humanness, you know, scripture says that the Lord I believe how I believe. Yes. Even as a seasoned Christian, I go through that. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and I, well, your, your question is still kind of broad. Be more specific for me. Faith is being sure and certain. There are days that I am sure and certain. There are days that I say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief because my flesh is in the way and I'm human. Yep. And in those times, and that's going to happen to every one of us. You're going to see, I'm going to show you examples of this in our study tonight, and I keep keeping myself from jumping ahead of myself, but there are going to be times that even Paul give up all hope. Paul gave up all hope. Yeah. I mean, think about that. I mean, and there's a place in the book of Acts where the shipwreck was about to happen and it says we had all given up hope of being saved. Yeah. So there are going to be times when that happens. In those times, you have to go back to what he said. Oh, the world's going to think you're crazy. The world's going to think you're nuts. But those of us who are willing to persevere and to keep going forward in faith, the Bible says one day we'll be rewarded. All right, let's, let's, let's take a look at this. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 3. It says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. All right? How do we know that the universe was made at God's command? We believe it because He said it. Oh, and by the way, if you've never looked at Genesis 1 this way, I want you to see it this way. Go to Genesis 1. It, it becomes awesome. Genesis, it already, Becky says it already is, so there we go. So, Genesis chapter 1. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you, 
I'm just going to have you skim with me real fast. Alright, Genesis chapter 1, look at verse 1. In the beginning, who? God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, the Spirit of God, verse 2, was hovering over the waters. Verse 3, and God said that there be light. And verse 4, God saw that the light was good. And verse 5, God called the light day, and in the darkness he called night. Uh, verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse between the waters. Verse 7, so God made the expanse. And verse 8, God called. Verse 9, God said. Verse 10, God called. Uh, verse, uh, at the end of verse 10, God saw that it was good. Verse 11, then God said, let the land produce vegetation. Uh, and at the end of verse 12, God saw that it was good. Uh, verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate day from night. Verse 16, God made two great lights. Verse 17, God sent them in the expanse. Verse, uh, at the end of verse 18, God saw that it was good. Verse 20, God said, let the water team with living creatures. God, verse 21, created the living creatures, or the great creatures of the sea. Uh, the end of verse 21, God saw that it was good. Verse 22, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Verse 24, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. Verse 25, God made the wild animals. Verse, uh, the end of verse 25, God saw that it was good. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Verse 29, and God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant. In verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Verse uh, Chapter 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, uh, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Folks, in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1 into chapter 2, verse 2, 32 times, God says... spoke it into existence. How do we know the universe was made? Well, scientists are proving that maybe it's true. You know what? They will eventually all bow their knee and acknowledge. There's still some that say, no, it all happened by some weird explosion billions and millions of years ago. How do we know God said it? This is what I'm talking to you about. Faith cannot begin until God has said something. If your faith is in anything that God hasn't said, It's a waste of your faith because it's not rooted in truth. But, Christians, listen to me. Avoid the wackos. Don't avoid truth because of the wackos. If God has said it, believe and don't doubt. Don't doubt. Let me show you another wonderful example of this. Go to um, Acts 27. We'll talk about it. Let's take a look at that shipwreck. Acts 27, verses 20 through 25. Remember, Luke is writing. He's, he's been writing down about all the travels with Paul and everything. And in Acts 27, verse 20, it says, When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up hope, all hope, of being saved. Who's the we? Everybody, including Paul. After the men had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me, and he said, 
Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men. I love how he words this. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we're going to run aground on some island. And folks, it's interesting here. Paul was in the boat. He had given up all hope of being saved. Why? He didn't have a word from God on whether or not this boat was going to go up or down. But during that time, after he had given up all hope of being saved, God sent an angel to give him a word. And here's an answer to your question. Will God give specific words? Yes. But again, we have to become people who learn to recognize that it really was God and it wasn't my flesh and it wasn't my hopes and it wasn't the enemy and all that stuff. And folks, I'm going to tell you, there are going to be times that you guess wrong. And you're going to have to just deal with the fact that you're flawed. There have been times in my life that I was sure God had said something to me and I banked everything on it. And then it didn't happen. And I know, I can tell you for a fact that actually before Becky and I were first married, God came and visited me. This is what He said. You're going to have a son. But you know what? I wasn't even married. I was still a virgin. I was engaged to be married. And God comes and He told me, I'm going to have a son. I'm not going to give into the details of why this encounter happened, but it was an incredible encounter with God. But I added some words. I turned to Becky and said, Becky, our first child is going to be a son. Did anybody catch that? What did God say? He said, you're going to have a son. I assumed, since I hadn't had any kids yet, that the first one was going to be a boy. So convinced was I that our first child was going to be a boy, we had no girl names picked out. And when the baby was born, and I was there, and she was missing the male apparatus, I literally was convinced that the doctor had tricked me. I called him Dr. Seuss. I've been messing with him. And I thought, he's gotten me back. How did he do it? When then I realized that I had a daughter, I wasn't disappointed that I had a daughter. Nicole will tell you, she and I are buds. She's Jim Jr. She is Jim Jr. She and I are tight. I wasn't disappointed that I had a daughter, but it rocked me. Because I thought, if I ever heard God speak, I know I heard God speak. How could I ever stand in the pulpit and say, thus says the Lord, if the one time if you had to tell me I heard God speak to my heart, I knew. It wasn't until years later. This is after the next child came and it wasn't a boy. It wasn't until years later as I wrestled with this issue. And folks, nobody knows but Becky what a turmoil this has been in my life of ministry. Because I know I heard God. And it wasn't until years later after AJ was born, that God took me back to that night and He said, listen again to what I said. You're going to have a son. I added some words. Sometimes when we hear God speak, and we're sure we heard Him speak, in our excitement, we add some words. So in that process of when He gives you a word or if He gives you a promise, make sure you get it specifically clear too. Sometimes that's part of the issue. 
But there are times that God will speak to your heart. But there's also a danger of just opening the Bible and getting a promise. You know, How many people have read in John chapter 11 when Jesus said about Lazarus, this sickness will not end in death. And they felt like God spoke to them and the person they're praying for is not going to die. It may or may not be a word from God. Do you understand? But here's the thing. There's a lot of promises already here that we don't know about. We're going to talk about some of those tonight. But if He said it, how do we know the world was created by God's command? Because God said it. By faith, we believe. And if God said it, we don't doubt, we don't waver. That's the way it is. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Yeah, well, at the same time, they didn't have any faith to put in. God hadn't said the boat was going to sink or, or sail. Maybe they, maybe they just had faith in, in a feather in the wind and saying, you know, we lost all hope and we just left, left in God's hands. No, this wasn't a group of Christians. These were all prisoners. They weren't, they weren't a group of Christians in that boat. They were all Romans and prisoners. And Paul was on a, on a prison ship taken to Rome to go stand trial. These weren't the, the most spiritual group of folks. Uh, so they, they they had just they had honestly believed they were going to drop they're going to die Paul included. Was, was the angel just reminding Paul that that's why he was going to know? Oh, it could. There's lots of things that God's doing. It's more than it could be. Again, if Paul had lost all hope of being saved, you know, he was being taken to Rome, but he didn't know if he's going to make it. But the angel comes and says, "No, you're going to make it." Oh, by the way, that's why later on when they get on that island. They run around on the island of Malta and they're all helping make a fire because they're all wet and they've been raining and the, and, the, and the adder comes out and fastens on his hand and Paul doesn't even freak out. He just shakes the fire back into the, the snake back into the fire and everybody looks at him thinking he's going to die and he doesn't. Well, the reason why Paul in that instance didn't worry about the snake bite was because God said, I'm going to Rome. So uh, this would normally kill a guy, but I guess it ain't going to kill me because I'm going to Rome. His faith was in what God had said. You know, and again, the importance of hanging on to what God said, because a lot of times God allows us to Satan to bite, and we got to hang on and believe what he, what he said. So that's the first part. I don't want us to miss in the time we have left here tonight. I don't want you to miss what we want you to see. All right, faith can't begin until God has spoken. Our faith must be rooted in His Word. All right. The second thing I want you to see is this. Uh, go to uh, Hebrews chapter eleven again and look at verse four. It says, by faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. Now I want to, I want to take some time to clarify this. And then we're going to take a look at this story. For years I've heard it preached that the reason why Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's was not is because Abel's was a blood sacrifice and Cain's was a, not a blood sacrifice and that only God would accept the blood sacrifice. Let me tell you clearly, that is wrong. That is not what the scripture says, that is not what this is said, and that's not the reason why his sacrifice was accepted and Cain's wasn't. And I'll show you why. Go to Genesis chapter 4 and, and we'll begin to take a look at this. In Genesis chapter 4 starting in verse 1. We see the account of Cain and Abel's offerings. It says, Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to her, his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. 
In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now again, there are preachers that have said, well, the reason why Abel's was accepted was his was a blood offering and only blood can take away sins. Hang on for a second. Stop. Um, At this point, had the law been given yet? No. No. It wasn't until years later that the law came with the blood offerings and all that kind of stuff. We see in the Old Testament prior to that that there were offerings and sacrifices, but also when the law came, were grain offerings accepted? Yeah. There was all there were different kinds of offerings. There were blood offerings, there were wave offerings, there were grain offerings, there were drink offerings. There's lots of different kinds of offerings. If you look closely, the real issue here is not that one was blood and one wasn't. The real issue is the attitude of the heart. Cain brought what? He brought Cain. Cain brought. He brought some of what he had. He he gave some of what he had. Abel brought the fat portions from the firstborn. He gave his best. Now keep in mind, if you are grazing cattle or herds uh, or whatever it is, and you use your best as your sacrifice, you're taking a chance that the rest of your flock will be less than the best, if you will, because you always want to breed the best. That's why in horse breeding and stuff, they always try to figure out who won the races and breed with those kind of thing and all. Let me just put it to you this way. The Bible says that real faith has no parachute. Real faith has no backup plan. Real faith says, not only do I believe God said it, and I believe He'll do it, I'm not protecting myself. No hedging my bets. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about in that. In in Mark chapter 6, we're going to take the time to turn there. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus sends out the, the, the 12, two by two, to go preach. What were His instructions? Take nothing. He says, I'm sending you out on days and weeks and months of journey. And here are my instructions to you. Don't bring any food. Don't bring any change of clothes. He says that. And don't bring any money. What was he trying to teach them? Full dependence and trust that he would provide. All the way through, we see the scripture teaching that real faith totally depends on God and trust God. Abraham, when he sacrificed Isaac, excuse me, he had no backup plan. Yeah, well, that's that's not a backup plan. That is the plan. The plan was, and it actually says in Hebrew, we'll get to that in Hebrews chapter 11, he believed that God was somehow going to raise him from the dead. Why? Because God had said it was through Isaac that his offspring was going to come. Okay, you've asked me to kill him. This doesn't make any sense, but I'm going to do what you say. You must be able to raise this guy from the dead because you've already said that it's through him that I'm going to have my offspring. So therefore, I'll kill him, but you're going to have to raise him from the dead. It wasn't a backup plan. It was a total dependence on God. Good thing he didn't add any words is right. Abel, Abel gave God his best. Cain went through the motions. All through Malachi, we don't have time to turn there. Malachi, God speaks to the nation of Israel about their sacrifices and the priests and how they just give the lame, they give the crippled when they were sacrificing to him. They weren't giving him their best. Go for it. Your face is wrinkly over here, Ron. I'm, I'm troubled. When I read uh, verse 4, it sounds like it's the first fruits, not necessarily the best. 
Well, no, no, well, first fruit, first fruits are firstborn. I see firstborn. Okay. Yeah, well, it's, it's more than first fruits. The, the, you have the, his, the fat portion and the firstborn. It definitely is first fruits. He's giving first and the best. And typically, that was the best. Typically, that's how it works. But yes. But again, like I say, the difference, the difference is not blood versus grain. The difference is, I'm giving you my best versus, and my first versus, you know, I'm not giving to you once I've made sure I've got enough for me. You see the difference? Real faith has no backup plan. Real faith totally depends on God. Motivation and heart attitude. Motivation and heart attitude. Exactly. Yes, sir. It's interesting to know why came the language that said in there, but he did not, uh, but he did not uh, respect Cain and his offering. Yeah. Somehow Cain knew that God was not pleased with his offering. I don't know. Now, it could be like in the book of uh, 1 Kings where... Uh, <laughs> Elijah had the prophets of Baal set up their altar and he set up his and God accepted the offering with the fire. Maybe it was that when they gave their offering, fire would come down and accept it, but fire didn't accept his. I don't know. I don't know. But somehow Cain knew God wasn't pleased with his offering. You know, it could have been he already had a, a hatred for his brother in his heart. May have. Not to see that, you know, in the New Testament, say you've got He wouldn't have been the first time. brother lead your offering and it could. It definitely could be. It wouldn't. It wouldn't be the first time that an older brother had hatred toward a younger brother that had been born after him. We don't know. We can, but the main thing I want you to see is this. Although it probably was the first time. <laughs> it probably was the first time. That's true in that sense. But go back to Hebrews chapter eleven. Look what it says. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice. Why? What it's simply saying is this: Abel's sacrifice included faith. A total trust and dependence on God. Cain's offering didn't involve any faith. But it's the same principle with the woman at the mic. She gave all that she had. And it was totally dependent. And same thing when Elijah is told to go to the widow at Tyre and Sidon. Uh, and she's only got enough for her and her son. And she's told, feed me first and it won't run out. She had to totally depend that what God said was true. And she had to then give the food, probably enough for her and her son, to the prophet. She had no backup plan. Folks, that's why the Bible talks about tithing and giving God off the top. A lot of us have trouble paying our bills with 100% of our paycheck. And we're going to be something stupid and give 10% first to God? And then when we're not meeting our bills with 100%. How are we going to meet it with 90%? That doesn't make any sense. So just watch. Just watch. Because God said. Because God said. And folks, that's one of the few places in the Scripture the Scripture says, test me. Test me. See if I won't pour open the windows of heaven. And I've seen it, and we're living it, we experience it. Here's the whole thing. Faith can't begin unless God's spoken. Faith, real faith, has no backup plan. If He said it, fully, fully trust Him. Alright, here's the last one. Faith continues every day, not just for salvation. This is important as we wrap up our study tonight. Look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. If you go back to Genesis 5 real quick, you'll see the account. Genesis chapter 5, the account of Enoch being taken. Look at verses 21 through 24. 
It says, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And as you know in your Bible trivia, Methuselah is the one that lived the oldest, the longest that we have recorded. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more, because God took him away. Now Hebrews shows us that he didn't die. He was raptured. I think Enoch's a picture of the rapture, to be honest with you folks. But why is Enoch listed in the Hall of Fame of Faith? He lived a life of faith every single day. He walked with God in total faith. Now here's what I want you to hear me. I believe a lot of Christians, and many in this room probably, have no issue when it comes to trusting God in faith for salvation. But we struggle with trusting God in faith during the days of our lives between salvation and heaven. It's one of the biggest things I deal with as I travel and speak to churches and Christians. Most Christians today, most, we're going to deal with some that don't aren't this way, but most Christians today have no question they're going to heaven because they trust that what Jesus did covers them. They've got full assurance of faith. But they struggle with trusting God every day. Folks, I just want to, we're going to begin to really deal with this as we get into Hebrews chapter 11 more. We're not going to hammer it too much tonight because I believe it's going to be covered a lot. But the Bible says that real faith, remember the righteous will live by faith. Real biblical faith doesn't just trust God for salvation. Real biblical faith trusts God every single day of their life. That's where we need to work, is it not? That's where God wants to work in us and, and through us. And that's what we're going to be taking a look at in our study of chapter 11 and so on. What does that really mean to trust Him every single day? And if you're like me, you're sitting there saying, that's what I need. You don't need to trust Him for salvation. Hopefully that's settled. But you need to know how to trust Him with the mortgage or the possible hurricanes that are coming or the economy or with the sickness or with whatever. And that's where we waver. That's where we doubt. That's where we struggle. It's that daily walk. And I want to talk to you and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you about this daily walk of faith. But as we wrap up, though, I want to deal with the sad thing is one sad thing. There are too many Christians today, and I'm going to say quote-unquote Christians, and I mean this, so stick with me. There are some people that call themselves Christian who go to church regularly who probably don't have saving faith because they've never fully, according to the biblical definition of faith, put their full trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I run across too many people that are like this lady Laura I met in Boston. Uh, We were doing a mission project in uh, a public school in uh, uh, Charlestown, Massachusetts. And we were, I was, at this time, this old bunch was doing all sorts of stuff all the school. I'm painting a brick wall. And if you've ever painted brick, it's not a fast process. So I'm at the corner of this big brick wall where school is now lit out because they were still in session up there. And people were walking with their kids to pick their kids up or whatever. And this lady walks by. Name's Laura. And i got nothing to do but paint this one section of brick over and over. You're good at that. I'm good at that. <laughs> And uh, if you want to know what color it was, I still got it on my leg too. So, <laughs> but I want to strike up a conversation with Laura and squeeze and sniff and thump and find out if she knows the Lord. And she said, "Who are you all? Why are you doing this?" And I said, "Oh, 
We're a group of Christians from a church in Florida that are up here doing some mission projects. Are there any good churches up here? She said, well, what kind of church do you go to? I said, we go to a Baptist church. She goes, well, I don't know many Baptist churches. I said, I didn't ask you if there are any good Baptist churches. Tell me about some good churches in this area. She said, well, there's one up there on the hill we can see. It's St. Something. And I said, well, where do you go? She goes, well, I go to St. Something. And I said, well, when we stand before God, He's not going to ask us what church we went to. The real issue is whether or not we put our full faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done. Lord, do you know that if you died, whether or not you'd go to heaven? If you put your full faith in Jesus, you say you go to church, but do you, do you know you're going to heaven? This was her answer. And I've heard it too much. I hope so. Folks, I've sat with Baptists around a table. Lady I, I met a year and a half ago, sitting at a dinner table. I asked her if she were to die. She'd been a member of a Baptist church for who knows, 700 years. She was, she, she, she was proud of her heritage in her Baptist church. But I asked her straight up, if you were to die, would you go to heaven? And she even said, I hope so. And there are too many people in our churches today that haven't even put real, biblical, full, certain of what we don't see, confident of what God has said, faith in the fact that God said He will give it to you as a gift if you'll receive it by faith. And I want to make sure there's nobody in this room that has a nice hope so answer to the question of if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Because I hope so is the wrong answer. Real faith says, I know so. But why? Because I've been good? No. But because God has promised that He'd give me eternal life, and I've got it because of His gift through Jesus Christ. Folks, for those of you that are that certain about your salvation, God wants you to be that certain of faith, living and living by faith every day in the promises of His Word. And we're going to be taking a look at some of these promises as we deal with the men and women of faith. There's, there's a reason why the Hebrew writer didn't go from chapter 10 where he said persevere and then to chapter 12 and say run with perseverance. He intentionally had, God had him write this chapter so we can learn from these men and women. And my prayer is that we become one of the people that probably one day would be written down if God were writing his Bible still would he put you in chapter 11. I pray that you become one of those people. Let me pray for us. Father, again, thank you for the chance to get back together and say... Uh, we just want to say thank you for your word, and we say thank you for your patience and your mercy and your love for us. Lord, you're going to teach us about faith. We want to be men and women of faith, real faith, not the wacko faith. But Lord, we also don't want to miss out on what your word says is true. Your word says that if we ask according to your will, we may believe that we have it, and it's ours. Well, your word says that if we ask and we don't doubt, it will be given to us. Yet, Lord, most of us live fearful, anxious, worried lives. We trust that You've given us salvation. But from that point on, we, we don't know what it means to live like Enoch. Father, please, by Your Word and by Your Spirit within us, as we let You build, manifest within us this type of faith that only comes from You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.